0: Section 31 of The Fable of the Bees by Bernard Mandeville. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A vindication of the book, from the aspersions contained in a presentment of the Grand Jury of Middlesex, and an abusive letter to Lord C., that the reader may be fully instructed in the merits of the cause between my adversaries and myself, it is requisite that, before he sees my defense, he should know the whole charge, and have before him all the accusations against me at large. The presentment of the Grand Jury is worded thus. We, the Grand Jury for the County of Middlesex, have, with the greatest sorrow and concern, observed the many books and pamphlets that are almost every week published against the sacred articles of our holy religion, and all discipline and order in the Church, and the manner in which this is carried on, seems to us to have a direct tendency to propagate infidelity and consequently corruption of all morals. We are justly sensible of the goodness of the Almighty that has preserved us from the plague which has visited our neighboring nation, and for which great mercy His Majesty was graciously pleased to command by His proclamation that thanks should be returned to heaven. But how provoking must it be to the Almighty That his mercies and deliverances extended to this nation and our thanksgiving that was publicly commanded for it should be attended with such flagrant impieties we know of nothing that can be of greater service to his majesty and the protestant succession which is happily established among us for the defense of the christian religion than the suppression of blasphemy and profaneness which has a direct tendency to subvert the very foundation on which His Majesty's government is fixed. So restless have these zealots for infidelity been in their diabolical attempts against religion that they have, first, openly blasphemed and denied the doctrine of the ever-blessed Trinity, endeavoring, by specious pretenses, to revive the Arian heresy, which was never introduced into any nation, but the vengeance of Heaven pursued it. Secondly, they affirm an absolute fate and deny the providence and government of the Almighty in the world. Thirdly, they have endeavored to subvert all order and discipline of the Church, and by vile and unjust reflections on the clergy they strive to bring contempt on all religion, that by the libertinism of their opinions they may encourage and draw others into the immoralities of their practice. Fourthly, That a general libertinism may the more effectually be established, the universities are decried, and all instructions of youth in the principles of the Christian religion are exploded with the greatest malice and falsity. Fifthly, the more effectually to carry on these works of darkness, studied artifices and invented colors, have been made use of to run down religion and virtue as prejudicial to society and detrimental to the state, and to recommend luxury, avarice, pride, and all kind of vices as being necessary to public welfare, and not tending to the destruction of the Constitution. Nay, the very stews themselves have had strained apologies and forced encomiums made in their favor, and produced in print, with design, we conceive, to debauch the nation. These principles having a direct tendency to the subversion of all religion and civil government Our duty to the Almighty, our love to our country, and regard to our oaths, oblige us to present as the publisher of a book entitled The Fable of the Bees, or Private Vices, Public Benefits, 2nd edition, 1723, and also as the publisher of a weekly paper called The British Journal, Number 26, 35, 36, and 39. The letter I complain of is this. My Lord. It is welcome news to all the king's loyal subjects and true friends to the established government and succession in the illustrious house of Hanover, that your lordship is said to be contriving some effectual means of securing us from the dangers wherewith his majesty's happy government seems to be threatened by Catiline, under the name of Cato, by the writer of a book entitled The Fable of the Bees, etc., and by others of their fraternity, who are undoubtedly useful friends to the pretender and diligent, for his sake, in laboring to subvert and ruin our Constitution under a specious pretense of defending it, your Lordship's wise resolution totally to suppress such impious writings, and the direction already given for having them presented immediately by some of the grand juries, will effectually convince the nation that no attempts against Christianity will be suffered or endured here. And this conviction will at once rid men's minds of the uneasiness which this flitigious race of writers has endeavoured to raise in them, will therefore be a firm bulwark to the Protestant religion, will effectually defeat the projects and hopes of the pretender, and best secure us against any change in the ministry, and no faithful Briton could be unconcerned. If the people should imagine any the least neglect in any single person bearing a part in the ministry, or begin to grow jealous that anything could be done, which is not done, in defending their religion from every the least appearance of danger approaching towards it. And, my lord, this jealousy might have been apt to rise if no measures had been taken to discourage and crush the open advocates of irreligion. It is no easy matter to get jealousy out of one's brains when it is once got into them. Jealousy, my lord, it is as furious a fiend as any of them all. I have seen a little thin, weak woman so invigorated by a fit of jealousy that five grenadiers could not hold her. My lord, go on with your just methods of keeping the people clear of this cursed jealousy. For amongst the various kinds and associations of it, that which concerns their religion is the most violent, flagrant, frantic sort of all, and accordingly has, in former reigns, produced those various mischiefs which your lordship has faithfully determined to prevent, dutifully regarding the royal authority, and conforming to the example of his majesty, who has graciously given directions, which are well known to your lordship, for the preserving of unity in the church, and the purity of the Christian faith. It is in vain to think that the people of England will ever give up their religion, or be very fond of any ministry that will not support it. As the wisdom of this ministry has done, against such audacious attacks as are made upon it by the scribblers, scribbler your lordship knows is the just appellation of every author who under whatever plausible appearance of good sense attempts to undermine the religion and therefore the content and quiet the peace and happiness of his fellow subjects by subtle and artful and fallacious arguments and insinuations may heaven avert those insufferable miseries which the church of rome would bring upon us tyranny is the bane of human society And there is no tyranny heavier than that of the Triple Crown. And therefore this free and happy people has justly conceived an utter abhorrence and dread of Popery, and of everything that looks like encouragement or tendency to it. But they do also abhor and dread the violence offered to Christianity itself by our British Catalines, who shelter their treacherous designs against it, under the false colors of regard and good will to our blessed Protestant religion, while they demonstrate, too plainly demonstrate, that the title of Protestants does not belong to them, unless it can belong to those who are in effect protesters against all religion. And really the people cannot be much blamed for being a little unwilling to part with their religion, for they tell ye that there is a God, and that God governs the world, and that he is wont to bless or blast a kingdom in proportion to the degrees of religion or irreligion prevailing in it your lordship has a fine collection of books, and, which is a finer thing still, you do certainly understand them, and can turn to an account of any important affair in a trice. I would therefore fain know, whether your lordship can show, from any writer, let him be as profane as the scribblers would have him, that any one empire, kingdom, country, or province, great or small, did not dwindle and sink, and was confounded, when it once failed of providing studiously for the support of religion. The scribblers talk much of the Roman government, and liberty, and the spirit of the old Romans, but it is undeniable that their most plausible talk of these things is all pretense, and grimace, and an artifice to serve the purposes of irreligion, and by consequence to render the people uneasy and ruin the kingdom. For if they did in reality esteem, and would faithfully recommend to their countrymen, The sentiments and principles, the main purposes and practices of the wise and prosperous Romans, they would, in the first place, put us in mind that old Rome was as remarkable for observing and promoting natural religion as new Rome has been for corrupting that which is revealed. And as the old Romans did signally recommend themselves to the favor of heaven by their faithful care of religion, so were they abundantly convinced, and did accordingly acknowledge with universal consent, that their care of religion was the great means of gods preserving the empire, and crowning it with conquest and success, prosperity and glory. Hence it was, that when their orators were bent upon exerting their utmost in moving and persuading the people, upon any occasion, they ever put them in mind of their religion, if that could be any way affected by the point in debate, not doubting that the people would determine in their favour if they could but demonstrate that the safety of religion depended upon the success of their cause and indeed neither the romans nor any other nation upon earth did ever suffer their established religion to be openly ridiculed exploded or opposed and i am sure your lordship would not for all the world that this thing would be done with impunity amongst us which was never endured in the world before did ever any man since the blessed revelation of the gospel run riot upon christianity as some men nay and some few women too have lately done must the devil grow rampant at this rate and not be called a coram nobis why should he not content himself to carry off people in the common way the way of cursing and swearing sabbath-breaking and cheating bribery and hypocrisy drunkenness and whoring and such kind of things as he used to do never let him domineer in men's mouths and writings as he does now with loud tremulous infidelity blasphemy and profaneness enough to frighten the king's subjects out of their wits we are now come to a short question god or the devil that is the word and time will show who and who goes together thus much may be said at present that those have abundantly shown their spirit of opposition to sacred things who have not only inveighed against the national profession and exercise of religion and endeavored with bitterness and dexterity to render it odious and contemptible but are solicitous to hinder multitudes of the natives of this island from having the very seeds of religion sown among them with advantage arguments are urged with the utmost vehemence against the education of poor children in the charity schools though there hath not one just reason been offered against the provision made for that education The things that have been objected against it are not, in fact, true, and nothing ought to be regarded, by serious and wise men, as a weighty or just argument, if it is not a true one. How hath Catiline the confidence left to look any man in the face, after he hath spent more confidence than most men's whole stock amounts to, in saying, that this pretended charity has, in effect, destroyed all other charities, which were before given to the aged, sick, and impotent? it seems pretty clear that if those who do not contribute to any charity school are become more uncharitable to any other object than formerly they were their want of charity to the one is not owing to their contribution to the other and as to those who do contribute to these schools they are so far from being more sparing in their relief of other objects than they were before that the poor widows the aged and impotent do plainly receive more relief from them in proportion to their numbers and abilities than from any the same numbers of men under the same circumstance of fortune who do not concern themselves with charity schools in any respect but in condemning and decrying them i will meet catiline at the grecian coffee-house any day in the week and by an enumeration of particular persons in as great a number as he pleaseth demonstrate the truth of what i have to say but i do not much depend upon his giving me this meeting because it is his business not to encourage demonstrations of the truth, but to throw disguises upon it. Otherwise, he never could have allowed himself, after representing the charity schools as intended to breed up children to reading and writing, and a sober behavior, that they may be qualified to be servants, immediately to add these words, a sort of idle and rioting vermin, by which the kingdom is already almost devoured, and are become everywhere a public nuisance, etc. What? is it owing to the charity schools that the servants are become so idle such rioting vermin such a public nuisance that women servants turn whores and the men servants robbers housebreakers and sharpers as he says they commonly do is this owing to the charity schools or if it is not how comes he to allow himself the liberty of representing these schools as means of increasing this load of mischief which is indeed too plainly fallen upon the public The imbibing principles of virtue hath not, usually, been thought the chief occasion of running into vice. If the early knowledge of truth, and of our obligations to it, were the surest means of departing from it, nobody would doubt that the knowledge of truth was instilled into Catiline very early, and with the utmost care. It is a good pretty thing in him to spread a report, and to lay so much stress upon it as he does, that there is more collected at the church doors in a day to make these poor boys and girls appear in caps and livery coats than for all the poor in a year o rare catiline this point you will carry most swimmingly for you have no witnesses against you nor any living soul to contradict you except the collectors and overseers of the poor and all other principal inhabitants of most of the parishes where any charity schools are in england the jest of it is my lord that these scribblers would still be thought good moral men but when men make it their business to mislead and deceive their neighbors, and that in matters of moment, by distorting and disguising the truth, by misrepresentations and false insinuations, if such men are not guilty of usurpation, while they take upon them the character of good moral men, then it is not immoral in any man to be false and deceitful, in cases where the law cannot touch him for being so, and morality bears no relation to truth and fair dealing. However, I shall not be very willing to meet one of these moral men upon Hounslow Heath if I should happen to ride that way without pistols, for I have a notion that they who have no conscience in one point do not much abound with it in another. Your lordship who judges accurately of men as well as books will easily imagine, if you had no other knowledge of the charity schools, that there must be something very excellent in them because such kind of men as these are so warm in opposing them. They tell you that these schools are hindrances to husbandry and to manufacture. As to husbandry, the children are not kept in the schools longer than till they are of age and strength to perform the principal arts of it, or to bear constant labor in it. And even while they are under this course of education, your lordship may depend upon it, that they shall never be hindered from working in the fields, or being employed in such labor as they are capable of, in any parts of the year." when they can get such employment for the support of their parents and themselves. In this case, the parents, in several counties, are proper judges of their several situations and circumstances, and at the same time not so very fond of their children getting a little knowledge rather than a little money, but that they will find other employment for them than going to school whenever they can get a penny by so doing. And the case is the same as to the manufacturers. The trustees of the charity schools, and the parents of the children bred in them would be thankful to those gentlemen who make the objection if they would assist in removing it by subscribing to a fund for joining the employment of manufacture to the business of learning to read and write in the charity schools this would be a noble work it is already effected by the supporters of some charity schools and is aimed at and earnestly desired by all the rest but rome was not built in a day till this great thing can be brought about let the masters and managers of the manufacturers in the several places of the kingdom be so charitable as to employ the poor children for a certain number of hours in every day in the respective manufactures, while the trustees are taking care to fill up their other hours of the day in the usual duties of the charity schools it is an easy matter for party men for designing and perverted minds to invent colorable fallacious arguments and to offer railing under the appearance of reasoning against the best things in the world but undoubtedly no impartial man who is affected with a serious sense of goodness and a real love of his country can think this proper and just view of the charity schools liable to any just weighty objection or refuse to contribute his endeavors to improve and raise them to that perfection which is proposed in them in the meantime let no man be so weak or so wicked as to deny, that when poor children cannot meet with employment in any other honest way, rather than suffer their tender age to be spent in idleness, or in learning the arts of lying and swearing and stealing, it is true charity to them, and good service done to our country, to employ them in learning the principles of religion and virtue, till their age and strength will enable them to become servants in families, or to be engaged in husbandry, or manufacture, or any kind of mechanic trade or laborious employment. For to these laborious employments are the charity children generally, if not always, turned, as soon as they become capable of them, and therefore Catiline may be pleased to retract his objection concerning shopkeepers or retailers of commodities, wherein he has affirmed that their employments, which he says ought to fall to the share of children of their own degree, are mostly anticipated and engrossed by the managers of the charity schools he must excuse my acquainting your lordship that this affirmation is in fact directly false which is an inconvenience very apt to fall upon his affirmations as it has particularly done upon one of them more which i would mention for he is not ashamed roundly to assert that the principles of our common people are debauched in our charity schools who are taught as soon as they can speak to blabber out high church and ormond and so are bred up to be traitors before they know what treason signifies. Your lordship, and other persons of integrity, whose words are the faithful representatives of their meaning, would now think, if I had not given you a key to Catiline's talk, that he has been fully convinced that the children in the charity schools are bred up to be traitors. My lord, if any one master be suffered by the trustees to continue in any charity school against whom proof can be brought, that he is disaffected to the government, or that he does not as faithfully teach the children obedience and loyalty to the king as any other duty in the catechism, then I will gratify Catiline with a license to pull down the schools and hang up the masters, according to his heart's desire. These and such things as these are urged with the like bitterness, and as little truth, in the book mentioned above, viz., The Fable of the Bees, or Private Vices, Public Benefits, etc., catiline explodes the fundamental articles of faith impiously comparing the doctrine of the blessed trinity to fi fa fum this profligate author of the fable is not only an auxiliary to catiline in opposition to faith but has taken upon him to tear up the very foundations of moral virtue and establish vice in its room the best physician in the world did never labor more to purge the natural body of bad qualities than this bumble-bee has done to purge the body politic of good ones he himself bears testimony to the truth of this charge against him for when he comes to the conclusion of his book he makes this observation upon himself and his performance Quote, after this i flatter myself to have demonstrated that neither the friendly qualities and kind affections that are natural to man nor the real virtues he is capable of acquiring by reason and self-denial are the foundation of society But what we call evil in this world, moral as well as natural, is the grand principle that makes us sociable creatures, the solid basis, the life and support of all trades and employments without exception, that there we must look for the true origin of all arts and sciences, and that the moment evil ceases the society must be spoiled, if not totally dissolved." Now, my lord, you see the grand design, the main drift of Catiline and his confederates, Now the scene opens, and the secret springs appear. Now the fraternity adventure to speak out, and surely no band of men ever dared to speak at this rate before. Now you see the true cause of all their enmity to the poor charity schools. It is leveled against religion. Religion, my lord, which the schools are instituted to promote, and which this confederacy is resolved to destroy. For the schools are certainly one of the great instruments of religion and virtue, one of the firmest bulwarks against popery, one of the best recommendations of this people to the divine favor, and therefore one of the greatest blessings to our country of anything that has been set on foot since our happy reformation, and deliverance from the idolatry and tyranny of Rome. If any trivial inconvenience did arise from so excellent a work, as some little inconvenience attends all human institutions and affairs, the excellency of the work would still be matter of joy." And find encouragement with all the wise and the good, who despise such insignificant objections against it as other men are not ashamed to raise and defend. Now your lordship also sees the true cause of the satire which is continually formed against the clergy by Catiline and his confederates. Why should Mr. Hall's conviction and execution be any more objection against the clergy than Mr. Layer's against the gentleman of the long robe? Why, because the profession of the law does not immediately relate to religion, and therefore Catiline will allow, that if any persons of that profession should be traitors, or otherwise vicious, all the rest may, notwithstanding the iniquity of a brother, be as loyal and virtuous as any other subjects in the king's dominions. But because matters of religion are the professed concern, and the employment of the clergy, therefore Catiline's logic makes it out, as clear as the day, that if any of them be disaffected to the government all the rest are so too or if any of them be chargeable with vice this consequence from it is plain that all or most of the rest are as vicious as the devil can make them i shall not trouble your lordship with a particular vindication of the clergy nor is there any reason that i should for they are already secure of your lordship's good affection to them and they are able to vindicate themselves wheresoever such a vindication is wanted being as faithful and virtuous and learned a body of men as any in Europe, and yet they suspend the publication of arguments in a solemn defense of themselves, because they neither expect nor desire approbation and esteem from impious and abandoned men, and at the same time they cannot doubt that all persons, not only of great penetration, but of common sense, do now clearly see that the arrows shot against the clergy are intended to wound and destroy the divine institution of the ministerial offices, and to extirpate the religion which the sacred offices were appointed to preserve and promote. This was always supposed and suspected by every honest and impartial man, but it is now demonstrated by those who before had given occasion to such suspicions, for they have now openly declared that faith, in the principal articles of it, is not only needless but ridiculous that the welfare of human society must sink and perish under the encouragement of virtue, and that immorality is the only firm foundation whereon the happiness of mankind can be built and subsist. The publication of such tenets as these, an open-avowed proposal to extirpate the Christian faith and all virtue, and to fix moral evil for the basis of the government, is so stunning, so shocking, so frightful, so flagrant an enormity that if it should be imputed to us as a national guilt, the divine vengeance must inevitably fall upon us. And how far this enormity would become a national guilt, if it should pass disregarded and unpunished, a casuist less skillful and discerning than your lordship may easily guess. And, no doubt, your lordship's good judgment, in so plain and important a case, has made you, like a wise and faithful patriot, resolve to use your utmost endeavours in your high station to defend religion from the bold attacks made upon it. As soon as I have seen a copy of the bill, for the better security of his majesty and his happy government, by the better security of religion in Great Britain, your lordship's just scheme of politics, your love of your country, and your great services done to it shall again be acknowledged by, my lord, your most faithful humble servant, Theophilus Philo Britannus. These violent accusations, and the great clamor everywhere, raised against the book by governors, masters, and other champions of charity schools, together with the advice of friends and the reflection on what I owed to myself, drew from me the following answer. The candid reader, in the perusal of it, will not be offended at the repetition of some passages, one of which he may have met with twice already, when he shall consider that, to make my defense by itself to the public, I was obliged to repeat what had been quoted in the letter, since the paper would unavoidably fall into the hands of many who had never seen either the Fable of the Bees or the defamatory letter wrote against it. The answer was published in the London Journal of August tenth, 1723, in these words. Whereas, in the evening post of Thursday, July eleventh, a presentment was inserted of the grand jury of Middlesex against the publisher of a book entitled The Fable of the Bees, or Private Vice's Public Benefits, and since that a passionate and abusive letter has been published against the same book and the author of it, in the London Journal of Saturday, July 27th, I think myself indispensably obliged to vindicate the above-said book against the black aspersions that undeservedly have been cast upon it, being conscious that I have not had the least ill design in composing it. The accusations against it having been made openly in the public papers, it is not equitable the defense of it should appear in a more private manner. What I have to say in my behalf I shall address to all men of sense and sincerity, asking no other favor of them, than their patience and attention. Setting aside what in that letter relates to others, and everything that is foreign and immaterial, I shall begin with the passage that is quoted from the book, viz. Quote, After this, I flatter myself to have demonstrated that neither the friendly qualities and kind affections that are natural to man, nor the real virtues he is capable of acquiring by reason and self-denial, are the foundation of society, but that what we call evil in this world, moral as well as natural, is the grand principle that makes us sociable creatures, the solid basis, the life and support of all trades and employments without exception, that there we must look for the true origin of all arts and sciences, and that the moment evil ceases, the society must be spoiled, if not totally dissolved." These words I own are in the book, and, being both innocent and true, like to remain there in all future impressions. But I will likewise own very freely that, if I had wrote with a design to be understood by the meanest capacities, I would not have chose the subject there treated of, or if I had, I would have amplified and explained every period, talked and distinguished magisterially, and never appeared without the fescue in my hand. As, for example, to make the passage pointed at intelligible, I would have bestowed a page or two on the meaning of the word evil. After that I would have taught them that every defect, every want, was an evil, that on the multiplicity of those wants depended all those mutual services which the individual members of a society pay to each other, and consequently the greater variety there was of wants, The larger number of individuals might find their private interest in laboring for the good of others, and, united together, compose one body. Is there a trade or handicraft but what supplies us with something we wanted? This want, certainly, before it was supplied, was an evil, which that trade or handicraft was to remedy, and without which it could never have been thought of. Is there an art or science that was not invented to mend some defect?" Had this latter not existed, there could have been no occasion for the former to move it. I say, page 236, quote, The excellency of human thought and contrivance has been, and is yet nowhere more conspicuous, than in the variety of tools and instruments of workmen and artificers, and the multiplicity of engines that were all invented, either to assist the weakness of man, to correct his many imperfections, to gratify his laziness, or to obviate his impatience, unquote. Several foregoing pages run in the same strain. But what relation has all this to religion or infidelity more than it has to navigation or the peace in the North? The many hands that are employed to supply our natural wants that are really such as hunger, thirst, and nakedness are inconsiderable to the vast numbers that are all innocently gratifying the depravity of our corrupt nature. I mean the industrious, who get a livelihood by their honest labor, to which the vain and voluptuous must be beholden for all their tools and implements of ease and luxury, Quote, the short-sighted vulgar, in the chain of causes, seldom can see farther than one link, but those who can enlarge their view, and will give themselves leisure of gazing on the prospect of concatenated events, may, in a hundred places, see good spring up, and pollulate from evil, as naturally as chickens do from eggs, Unquote the words are to be found page twenty-six in the remark made on the seeming paradox that in the grumbling hive the worst of all the multitude did something for the common good where in many instances may be amply discovered how unsearchable providence daily orders the comforts of the laborious and even the deliverances of the oppressed secretly to come forth not only from the vices of the luxurious but likewise the crimes of the fletigious and most abandoned Men of candor and capacity perceive, at first sight, that in the passage censured there is no meaning hid or expressed that is not altogether contained in the following words. Quote, Man is a necessitous creature on innumerable accounts, and yet from those very necessities and nothing else arise all trades and employments. Unquote. But it is ridiculous for men to meddle with books above their sphere the fable of the bees was designed for the entertainment of people of knowledge and education when they have an idle hour which they know not how to spend better it is a book of severe and exalted morality that contains a strict test of virtue an infallible touchstone to distinguish the real from the counterfeited and shows many actions to be faulty that are palmed upon the world for good ones it describes the nature and symptoms of human passions depicts their force and disguises and traces self-love in its darkest recesses. I might safely add, beyond any other system of ethics, the whole is a rhapsody void of order or method, but no part of it has anything that is sour or pedantic. The style, I confess, is very unequal, sometimes very high and rhetorical, and sometimes very low, and even very trivial. Such as it is, I am satisfied that it has diverted persons of great probity and virtue and unquestionable good sense and i am in no fear that it will ever cease to do so while it is read by such whoever has seen the violent charge against this book will pardon me for saying more in commendation of it than a man not laboring under the same necessity would do of his own work on any other occasion the encomiums upon stews complained of in the presentment are nowhere in the book what might give a handle to this charge must be a political dissertation concerning the best method to guard and preserve women of honor and virtue from the insults of dissolute men, whose passions are often ungovernable. As in this there is a dilemma between two evils which it is impracticable to shun both, so I have treated it with the utmost caution, and begin thus, quote, I am far from encouraging vice, and should think it an unspeakable felicity for a state, if the sin of uncleanness could be utterly banished from it, but I am afraid it is impossible, unquote. I give my reasons why I think it so, and, speaking occasionally of the music-houses at Amsterdam, I give a short account of them, than which nothing can be more harmless, and I appeal to all impartial judges whether what I have said of them is not ten times more proper to give men, even the voluptuous of any State, a disgust and aversion against them, than it is to raise any criminal desire. I am sorry the grand jury should conceive that I publish this with a design to debauch the nation without considering that, in the first place, there is not a sentence nor a syllable that can either offend the chastest ear, or sully the imagination of the most vicious, or, in the second, that the matter complained of is manifestly addressed to magistrates and politicians, or, at least, the more serious and thinking part of mankind, whereas a general corruption of manners as to lewdness, to be produced by reading, can only be apprehended from obscenities easily purchased. And every way adapted to the tastes and capacities of the heedless multitude and unexperienced youth of both sexes. But that the performance, so outrageously exclaimed against, was never calculated for either of these classes of people, is self-evident from every circumstance. The beginning of the prose is altogether philosophical, and hardly intelligible to any that have not been used to matters of speculation. And the running title of it is so far from being specious or inviting, that without having read the book itself, nobody knows what to make of it, while at the same time the price is five shillings, from all which it is plain that if the book contains many dangerous tenets, I have not been very solicitous to scatter them among the people. I have not said a word to please or engage them, and the greatest compliment I have made them has been, apage vulgus." but as nothing i say page one hundred thirty-eight, would more clearly demonstrate the falsity of my notions than that the generality of the people should fall in with them so i do not expect the approbation of the multitude i write not to the many nor seek for any well-wishers but among the few that can think abstractly and have their minds elevated above the vulgar of this i have made no ill use and ever preserved such a tender regard to the public that when I have advanced any uncommon sentiments, I have used all the precautions imaginable, that they might not be hurtful to weak minds that might casually dip into the book, when, page 137, I owned, quote, that it was my sentiment that no society could be raised into a rich and mighty kingdom, or so raised subsist in their wealth and power for any considerable time, without the vices of man, unquote. I had premised what was true, quote, that I had never said or imagined that man could not be virtuous as well in a rich and mighty kingdom as in the most pitiful commonwealth, which, caution, a man less scrupulous than myself might have thought superfluous, when he had already explained himself on that head in the very same paragraph which begins thus, I lay down as a first principle that in all societies, great or small, it is the duty of every member of it to be good that virtue ought to be encouraged vice discountenanced the laws obeyed and the transgressors punished there is not a line in the book that contradicts this doctrine and i defy my enemies to disprove what i have advanced page 139 that if i have shown the way to worldly greatness i have always without hesitation preferred the road that leads to virtue no man ever took more pains not to be misconstrued than myself mind, page 138, when I say, quote, that societies cannot be raised to wealth and power, and the top of earthly glory without vices. I do not think that by so saying I bid men to be vicious, any more than I bid them to be quarrelsome or covetous, when I affirm that the profession of the law could not be maintained in such numbers and splendor if there was not abundance of too selfish and litigious people, unquote. A caution of the same nature I had already given towards the end of the preface, on account of a palpable evil inseparable from the felicity of London. To search into the real causes of things imports no ill design, nor has any tendency to do harm. A man may write on poisons, and be an excellent physician. Page 235. I say, quote, No man needs to guard himself against blessings, but calamities require hands to avert them. Unquote. And lower, Quote, it is the extremities of heat and cold, the inconstancy and badness of seasons, the violence and uncertainty of winds, the vast power and treachery of water, the rage and untractableness of fire, and the stubbornness and sterility of the earth that rack our invention. How we shall either avoid the mischiefs they produce, or correct the malignity of them, and turn their several forces to our own advantage a thousand different ways. While a man is inquiring into the occupation of vast multitudes, I cannot see why he may not say all this and much more without being accused of depreciating and speaking slightly of the gifts and munificence of heaven, when, at the same time, he demonstrates that without rain and sunshine this globe would not be habitable to creatures like ourselves. It is an out-of-the-way subject and I would never quarrel with the man who should tell me that it might as well have been let alone. Yet I always thought it would please men of any tolerable taste, and not be easily lost. My vanity I could never conquer, so well as I could wish, and I am too proud to commit crimes. And as to the main scope, the intent of the book, I mean the view it was wrote with, protest that it has been with the utmost sincerity, what I have declared of it in the preface, where you will find these words, If you ask me why I have done all this, cui bono, and what good these notions will produce? Truly, besides the reader's diversion, I believe none at all. But if I was asked what naturally ought to be expected from them, I would answer that in the first place the people who continually find fault with others, by reading them, would be taught to look at home and examining their own consciences, be made ashamed of always railing at what they are more or less guilty of themselves and that, in the next, those who are so fond of the ease and comforts of a great and flourishing nation would learn more patiently to submit to those inconveniences which no government upon earth can remedy, when they should see the impossibility of enjoying any great share of the first, without partaking likewise of the latter." The first impression of the Fable of the Bees, which came out in 1714, was never carped at, or publicly taken notice of, and all the reason I can think on why this second edition should be so unmercifully treated, though it has many precautions which the former wanted, is an essay on charity and charity schools, which is added to what was printed before. I confess that it is my sentiment that all hard and dirty work ought, in a well-governed nation, to be the lot and portion of the poor, and that to divert their children from useful labor till they are fourteen or fifteen years old, is a wrong method to qualify them for it when they are grown up. I have given several reasons for my opinion in that essay, to which I refer all impartial men of understanding, assuring them that they will not meet with such monstrous impiety in it as reported. What an advocate I have been for libertinism and immorality, and what an enemy to all instructions of youth in the Christian faith, may be collected from the pains I have taken on education for above seven pages together and afterwards again, page 193, where speaking of the instructions the children of the poor might receive at church, from which I say, or some other place of worship, I would not have the meanest of a parish that is able to walk to it be absent on Sundays. I have these words, It is the Sabbath, the most useful day in Seven, that is set apart for divine service and religious exercise, as well as resting from bodily labor, and it is a duty incumbent on all magistrates to take a particular care of that day the poor more especially and their children should be made to go to church on it both in the fore and the afternoon because they have no time on any other by precept and example they ought to be encouraged to it from their very infancy the wilful neglect of it ought to be counted as scandalous and if downright compulsion to what i urge might seem too harsh and perhaps impracticable All diversions at least ought strictly to be prohibited, and the poor hindered from every amusement abroad, that might allure or draw them from it." If the arguments I have made use of are not convincing, I desire they may be refuted, and I will acknowledge it as a favor in any one that shall convince me of my error, without ill language, by showing me wherein I have been mistaken. But calumny, it seems, is the shortest way of confuting an adversary when men are touched in a sensible part. Vast sums are gathered for these charity schools, and I understand human nature too well to imagine that the sharers of the money should hear them spoke against with any patience. I foresaw, therefore, the usage I was to receive, and having repeated the common cant that is made for charity schools, I told my readers, page 165, quote This is the general cry, and he that speaks the least word against it is an uncharitable hard-hearted and inhuman if not a wicked profane and atheistical wretch for this reason it cannot be thought that it was a great surprise to me when in that extraordinary letter to lord c i saw myself called profligate author the publication of my tenets an open and avowed proposal to extirpate the christian faith and all virtue and what i had done so stunning so shocking so frightful so flagrant an enormity that it cried for the vengeance of heaven." This is no more than what I have already expected from the enemies to truth and fair dealing, and I shall retort nothing on the angry author of that letter, who endeavors to expose me to the public fury. I pity him, and have charity enough to believe that he has been imposed upon himself by trusting to fame and the hearsay of others, for no man in his wits can imagine that he should have read one quarter part of my book and write as he does. I am sorry if the words private vices' public benefits have ever given any offense to a well-meaning man. The mystery of them is soon unfolded when once they are rightly understood, but no man of sincerity will question the innocence of them that has read the last paragraph, where I take my leave of the reader, quote, and conclude with repeating the seeming paradox, the substance of which is advanced in the title page, that private vices, by the dexterous management of a skilful politician, may be turned into public benefits. Unquote. These are the last words of the book, printed in the same large character with the rest. But I set aside all what I have said in my vindication, and if, in the whole book called Fable of the Bees, and presented by the grand jury of Middlesex to the judges of the king's bench, there is to be found the least title of blasphemy or profaneness, or anything tending to immorality or the corruption of manners, I desire it may be published, and if this be done without invective, personal reflections, or setting the mob upon me, things I never designed to answer, I will not only recant, but likewise beg pardon of the offended public in the most solemn manner, and, if the hangman might be thought too good for the office, burn the book myself, at any reasonable time and place, my adversaries shall be pleased to appoint. The author of The Fable of the Bees, End of section 31